Welcome to the Kata Brothers Travel Club, a travel podcast where we explore some of the best destinations through interesting stories from locals and people that have had meaningful experiences around the world. We started this podcast to connect with friends, both old and new, to learn important lessons through traveling. We hope you get as much out of these adventures as we do. Before we get started, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or the follow button on Spotify, so you're always notified when new episodes drop, and so you're officially a member of the Travel Club. Now, grab your passport, because we got a flight to catch. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Kata Brothers Travel Club. Your hosts are here, Jared and Brendan Kata. Thank you, as always, for joining us on this journey across the world. We have another incredible episode for you today. But first, Brendan, we teased it on the last episode that you are unfortunately heading out of Miami. You are moving to Tucson, Arizona to begin law school at U of A. Uh, But you have to make a journey across America's plains lands. (laughs) <laughs> in order for you to get there <laughs> yeah it's gonna be a task and it's it feels like a huge barrier between like where i am now and where i'm eventually gonna be settled is this long three-day drive from miami to atlanta to tucson arizona so i'm going to be escorting you from miami up to atlanta that's about a 10-hour drive and we'll stay overnight there and then Tell the audience what your journey is going to look like day by day after that. So after we leave Atlanta, and we're going to Atlanta to um, pick up my girlfriend, Danielle, who's moving to Tucson with me. Once Danielle and I leave Atlanta, we're going to be driving all the way to Fort Worth, Texas, and staying with one of her friends. That's about a 10-hour drive. Wow. From Fort Worth, we're going to go down to El Paso, Texas, which is another eight hours. We could make the, the haul straight from Fort Worth to Tucson, but we kind of figured we'd be exhausted afterwards. So th- stopping in El Paso puts us in a nice place to do like a casual four-hour drive from there into Tucson, and then we can feel comfortable starting to unpack and settle into our new place. That's great. So a three-day trek across America. Yeah. I feel like the, the road trips for a move are are not quite as exciting as the road trips just for leisure. You don't really get to see the sights along the way, but it's still going to be a, a really cool adventure and sort of that, like like you said, like that next step before the real next step. Yeah, exactly. It's like a wall in between. I'm a little bit nervous about driving the big truck, like the big U-Haul with all our stuff in it, mm-hmm. but I really feel like once I get out of Florida with its crazy roads and crazy drivers... I'll just have nothing but open desert plain in front of me. And I think that'll be a lot easier. I'm actually kind of looking forward to that. Yeah, that sounds pretty fun. And it's nice that you get to ride with Danielle and uh, enjoy that. I guess it's what? How long is it going to be? How many hours altogether? Oh, altogether, it's about 27 hours. Including coming up from Florida? Including that, it'll be... Roughly... Like 36 hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah 36 to 38 hours wow. on the road in four days. That's it's crazy. It's going to be rough. Well, 
anyways, like I said, sad to see you go, but we are excited for that move, and I hope that you'll keep us formed along the way. Maybe post on uh, Instagram some of the pictures of uh, the scenes uh, in all of the states that you pass through. Definitely. We're taking our dog with us, so we'll have to find some nice places to pull off and like see the site, let the dog run around for a little bit. So I'll take some pictures. Well, like I said at the beginning, we have an exciting episode today. I want to start by giving a shout out to our mom, Pam Cotta, because she has been a tremendous help with finding new guests for the Cotta Brothers Travel Club. And this is going to be the first episode sponsored by Pam. (laughs) We told our mom that we've been looking for some new people to interview for this uh, second portion of the Cotta Brothers Travel Club after our first 10 episodes. And she thought of her friend, Julie Cookie, who lives in Australia. Now Julie's daughter, Megan Moser, is someone that I grew up with, went to grade school, middle school, high school with, Uh, We actually were even neighbors for a short time, and she'll talk about that in the episode. But Megan now lives in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. We've been all over Southeast Asia, but I think that finally we've come across the destination that is as far away as possible. This would probably be the longest flight that the Cotta Brothers would take to get to a new city. But we're really excited to learn about Melbourne because uh, what we've uncovered here is a truly underrated city a diamond in the rough when it comes to Australia. And so without further ado, here's our interview with Megan. Thank you so much, Megan, for joining us today. Uh, I have known you for a long time, I think since preschool, but the audience doesn't know anything about you. So first of all, we appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, Will you let the audience know a little bit about yourself, where you're living, what time it is in your time zone, and uh, whatever else you want to let people know. Yeah, um, I think the last time I saw you was when we were next door neighbors in San Diego, I'm pretty sure. And I was moving to Australia, which was like seven years ago now. Um, So it's been a really long time since I've lived here. And I feel like I've kind of made the transition from tourist to like new resident who has no idea what's cool. And then now I feel like I'm kind of more of a local here than San Diego, which is weird feeling, but it's, um, it's good to be, I guess it's interesting to make the transition to local in a new place. I'm sure you guys have done it in Florida too. Um, so about me, I live in Brunswick, which is a suburb that's maybe five kilometers from the city in Melbourne. And I work full-time in management consulting and, um, doing a, MBA, but I'll be done in like about a month. So I'm almost finished, which is cool. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And for fun at the moment, I go for my mandated exercise because we're not really, <laughs> we're only allowed to leave the house right now for four reasons exercise, essential shopping. I can't remember the other two, but those are the only two I leave for because I feel like the other two, it's like work, which I, I can work from home and then caring, I think, which I don't have anyone to care for. Uh-huh. So yeah, there's not a lot of exciting stuff going on, but hopefully I can um, scrape my memory and tell you guys some interesting stories from better days. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know when when we were emailing back and forth trying to uh, schedule this uh, this podcast interview, uh, it, it occurred to me that the longer and longer we have to go uh, before we were able to go outside, it's the harder and harder it's going to become to actually give good guides and good advice. We're uh, we're all really hoping that a lot of these places will be around after the quarantine is over. Yeah. So, you know, but um, but you know, this is this is a travel podcast, and and even though today we're going to be talking specifically about Melbourne, we want to we always like to ask our guests, what does traveling mean to you? I think. 
for me, because I'm an expat or migrant or whatever you want to call it, traveling for me now is less exploratory and more whenever I have a vacation time, I try to come home. And so that's my, my view of it is like an excuse to go home and see family and hang out. And then I guess I try to travel locally in Australia too, just because everyone thinks Australia is really small, just because there's only four main cities, but it's actually really, really big. And there's so many cool places to see. So I feel like traveling is just a place or a chance to be more familiar with my new home, I guess. So, and hopefully in a few years when things open up again and like I can do more traveling, then it'll be a chance to explore other places too. That's great. That's really awesome. We've talked to a number of our friends at this point who are expats. And so we wanted to ask you, what made you decide to move out to Australia? Yeah, it was, um, it was kind of an impulsive decision. My dad got a job here maybe 10 years ago and we came to visit him and just really liked it. And I was working in international relations at the time and I kind of felt like I didn't have any street cred doing that because I've just lived in the US my whole life. So I thought, oh, that'd be good. Go live overseas for a year, get some experience working internationally. And then I'll kind of know like how people work in different countries. And then it's just so nice here that I never came back. So it's, I think that is common. Like you, you think I'll just do a year and then a year is never enough time to get used to a place. Like if you're there for a year, you're just still kind of like you're not settled. Mm. And then you do two years and then you're really settled and then you just don't want to come back. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of how I ended up here. Then you feel at home and, and then that's, I think that's, that's how a lot how Miami was for me as I thought I was going to be out here for school and then just loved it. And uh, I've been here for, I guess, almost six years. Yeah, so, it goes fast too, doesn't it? You like look at the fast. calendar and you're like, wow, it's been seven years since I've been here. Wow. I think um, it's, it's a little bit easier because my parents both live here and so, and my brother actually. So I've got family here. I think if I was all by myself, I might not have lasted as long, but yeah, it's, it's definitely makes it feel less foreign when you have three people from home living with you. Yes, uh, I think we yeah. can both uh, agree with that for sure. Um, let, me, let me ask you this, though, and a lot of people, like you said, are, think of Australia as really small, so they maybe don't know everything that there is to know about it. What was something that was challenging for you moving out there that you maybe uh, were surprised by? I think that uh, being American, I just assume that everything's kind of like the U.S., like, oh, like, we've invented everything, <laughs> and we, like, all of our culture is imposed on other people, so here, I thought, oh, it'll be like kind of the same it wouldn't even be that different moving everyone speaks English like it'll be a really similar experience and when I got here it was so much more different than I was expecting like even the words that are used I felt like for the, probably the first year I was like people would say sentences and I would just have n no idea I couldn't decipher the meaning of it just because there's certain words that are just different enough or like different phrases there's tons of slang here and even in the workplace, people are less formal and use more slang. And so there'd be so many times like after meetings, say, I'd have to go talk to one of my coworkers and say like, when that person said this, what like a common one is like, if something's so bad or so messy, it's like, oh, that's just a dog's breakfast. And it's, you would have no <laughs> idea what that meant. And there's so many examples. So I think that's, that's one thing that was probably pretty challenging. And then also just getting around here is, is a lot. Um, a lot different in San Diego there's not really good public transport and I think like we have a bus but I've probably only been on it like two times but here there's um, a train and a tram and there's buses and so you can kind of get anywhere without a car so for the first maybe four years I didn't have a car and I got lost all the time but it was fun <laughs> it's a good way to like explore and get used to a place but yeah it was so much 
um, more different than the U.S. than I was expecting. That's that's really interesting. I, I love that's a very honest answer, and I feel like a lot of people that we've talked to are like, yeah, you know, it's fine. There are a lot of similarities between Australia, maybe more so than other destinations that we've discussed. But um, it just goes to show that regardless, uh, you know, there's a lot of adapting that has to happen to acclimate to a new place. So that's really yeah. cool. When we talk about travel, going into more of our advice part, um, we like to think of four pillars that make up really understanding a destination. And, and that is food, nightlife and drinks, culture, and finally outdoors and different excursions. So we'll, we'll kind of go in order, but that's how we've approached every uh, interview that we, we like to do. And I think that that gives everybody a, a sense of places to go and things to see in a destination. So to start with food, of course, now I'm not really familiar with like Australian cuisine per se, uh, but what is the dish that you say Melbourne is most famous for? Oh, that's such a hard question. Cause I, I think that it's such like an intersection of US culture and English culture. And so there's a lot of like pub food, which has like Parmesan and fish and chips, but then they have burgers. Like, I don't know that Australia necessarily has a cuisine. There's one thing that I think is really common here that I've never seen anywhere else. And it's when you go to vote, they have like a little stand that sells sausages and they take like a piece of white bread and you lay the sausage down like diagonally and then they grill onions and put it on top and you fold it up like a little like kind of taco. And um, it's just like sausage and bread and they call it, um, what do they call it? sausage sizzle and so I think that's like that's the it's horrible and it doesn't sound very sophisticated at all but I think that's probably the one like true Australian food that I can think of which is horrible to say. What a cool way to encourage voting though. It's true yeah I think um some people I know well, also actually voting is mandatory so you have to go so it's just like a it's like a little extra like thanks for coming. Here's a sausage, Here's a sausage taco. And sometimes it's so cookie. Yeah, it's so strange. And <laughs> yeah, I'm vegetarian, so unfortunately I don't get to eat them anymore, but um, I have had them and they're, they're no hot dog. <laughs> okay. 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 Well, actually, it's, it's interesting. You, you say that you're vegetarian, so this is going to have uh, kind of a more veggie slant uh, on the food advice, which is cool because uh, we have to really cater to any kind of traveler. And I know that there's a growing number of people that are vegan and vegetarian, so... Uh, it would be great if you had some some recommendations that are uh, aligned with that. Yeah, there's so much vegetarian food in Melbourne. Well, we, we'd love to hear what are some of your must-hit food spots around Melbourne? Yeah, so I haven't always been vegetarian also. I think it's only been for about a year now, so I can also recommend for carnivores lots of stuff because there's there's just so many good restaurants. I think people would say about Melbourne, it's like, well, at least I would say, and there's kind of a bit of a rivalry between Melbourne and Sydney, but... I would say it's probably the food capital of Australia. I don't know if that's like a bold claim, but at least where I live and all the like inner city suburbs, just like restaurant after restaurant after restaurant just next door to each other on all the main streets. And so there's so many options for food. And because we're pretty close to Asia, the Asian food here is really, really good. Um, amazing Vietnamese, like Bon Mi is the little shops kind of everywhere and they're like $6 you can get a Bon Mi roll. And I think those are kind of the more cheap eats that are just like everyone will go and grab one for lunch. 
Um, I hadn't had it until I moved here. And so that, that's probably one of the like quick duck in, get some food places. Let's see where I live. It's, it's called Sydney road. The is like really big, busy road. And it'll be like kebab shop, banh mi, Italian, and then maybe American food is kind of having a bit of a comeback here right now. Oh, really? And yeah, weird like American diners. Um, like just meant to look like they're in the 50s or something. <laughs> yeah. It's, Very cool. It's, it's not the best, but it is like, it's kind of comforting to walk into them. That's great. Are there any uh, spots specifically that, that you always try to hit up? Um, I'm trying to remember. So I work in the city, which is um, not far from my house. And there's one place that has really good pizza that I usually go to after work when I can. And they also have a really good selection of craft beer. It's called um, Heartbreaker. And it's right on Russell Street in the middle of the city. And it's, it's like Led Zeppelin theme bar. And so it's like really dark and dingy, but it kind of looks like a dive bar. And they have pizzas by the slice and just this really, really good selection of beer and an old jukebox. So I feel like that's a really good place if you want like a kind of divey, but good pizza. You're speaking our language. We are dive bar <laughs> connoisseurs. That is top notch for us. So awesome. Anywhere else? What's your favorite vegetarian restaurant? I keep going back to pizza. I need to branch out, but one one last pizza one, and then maybe I'll move For on. Sure. Um, there's a place called Red Sparrow Pizza, and it's all vegan pizza. And originally, like, I'm not vegan, and I'm not a huge fan of vegan cheese because it's just sometimes a little bit weird. But these pizzas are so good, you can't even tell that they're vegan. Um, so that's probably a really good place if you're looking for plant-based food. There's also in Fitzroy, which is another suburb kind of near the city, a place called Veggie Bar, and they have kind of just like a regular menu, but everything's vegetarian. There's also a fully vegan fast food chain called Lord of the Fries. Really? And yeah, it's, um, cool. they have like vegan hot dogs, vegan hamburgers. It's, it's kind of like, it's not the best quality, but if you're just looking for like quickly grab a burger and, and run out, it's, it's pretty good. It's been, like you said at the beginning, it's been so long since I've been out to eat and I'm trying to jog my memory. Um, let me ask you this question, because this restaurant has continuously come up on the top list. Have you been to Attica? No, I haven't been. No? I think it's okay. a really nice, it's like a fine dining restaurant, I think. From what I've seen, it shows up sometimes on like the top 100 restaurants in the world list, but oh, really? I might be wrong. Yeah, so that'd be cool. And it, it probably, it speaks a lot to what you're saying as Melbourne being one of the food capitals. Uh, I've also heard that, uh, and this is transitioning slightly into the, the drinks and, and nightlife, can you tell the audience a little bit more about these city laneways? Because I know they have bars, restaurants, but it's such an unusual like, place to gather, but it seems really cool. Yeah, it's, um, at first when I saw them, I thought, like, oh, should I be here? Like, this seems kind of dangerous because it's like you go back into a laneway and it's just covered in graffiti. But um, I guess like what I would think is graffiti is actually street art. And it's, <laughs> it, once you get kind of used to seeing it, you're like, some of the stuff is amazing. Some of the stuff that people can draw with a spray can I can't even imagine um and yeah it's there's little little laneways that are kind of hidden and it feels like special when you find one because I think now you there's some really like main ones that everyone knows about but there's there's still some secret more hidden places I guess that you can find and so you you go in off a really busy road and there'll be like office buildings and people just like rushing around and then you just make a little quick turn and sometimes it looks like you shouldn't be going back there some of them are so intricate and so hidden behind like dumpsters and things 
And then you keep walking and it just is like a maze. It just keeps going back behind all the buildings. And a lot of places have started putting little cafes back there and little restaurants and even, even secret hidden bars. And so it's a really interesting part of the culture. And it's definitely something I haven't seen anywhere else. That is so cool. That, yeah, that was something that I was like, wow, that would be so amazing to explore. Really interesting, just a really interesting way that they designed the city. I wonder if it goes back to like prohibition era. I'm not sure, but possibly like they have to keep all the bars and things hidden from the main road. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's was there a prohibition in Australia, something like that? that you might you know? need to fact check me because I actually don't know. <laughs> fact check me and then cut this section out, please. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Megan, we did fact check you, and it actually turns out that Australia had a small prohibition, but it was mostly consolidated to Sydney. So it was not actually what the laneways were used for in Melbourne. But their history is pretty interesting. Laneways date back to Victorian-era Melbourne. They were mostly used to make deliveries to businesses without clogging up the main roads. Some did end up having ties to criminal dealings just because they were back alleyways through the city but they quickly transformed into a cultural landmark that's beloved by both residents and tourists alike. Not quite as nefarious of origins as the American speakeasies, but still a really cool part of the city. You gave us a great recommendation for uh, a pizza and dive bar. What if you were looking for a, like a nice cocktail bar? What's, what's some place you would like to go, you'd like to go for that? There's, um, there's so many cocktail bars in Melbourne and there's so many rooftop bars it's like a it's kind of like the laneways it's another thing that the city's known for and the, the weather's here is pretty good year-round it's it's cold but they have outdoor heaters and covering and stuff and so I think a lot of the um, rooftop bars also have really nice cocktails so there's one called Union Electric that is in it's also in a laneway in Chinatown in the city and it's kind of back in an alley and then up a little staircase and they have really nice all these classic cocktails like Negronis and old fashions and things you'd want and then they get really creative as well with with the sort of cocktails they have there's also another one called Bar Americano I think it's called and it's so tiny and this like when I was explaining back in the maze of a laneway it's so far back you you could miss it and it's sort of standing room only it's the smallest little place and you can maybe fit like 10 people in and it's really dim and it looks like you're in, I don't know, Cuba or something. It's just um, really, really cute little place and they have amazing cocktails. So yeah, if you, if you are going to Melbourne and going on a bar crawl, there's a lot of websites that'll give you like a list of places that you can go near each other. And there's a lot of tours and stuff and they're really, really known for their cocktail bars. Oh, there's one other one. It's called Eau de Vie and it's also in the laneway. Um, and it's, <laughs> It has the strangest, fanciest cocktails. I can't remember exactly what I got last time I went there, but it was something whiskey-based, and it came out on a on a wooden board, and it had some peat that was lit on fire, and they had a glass dome over the top of it, and they brought it out and then pulled the lid off, and then you're supposed to drink the cocktail while smelling the burning peat or cedar or whatever it was. That is very so extravagant. That is very cool. I went to a bar, I think it was in Argentina when I was in Buenos Aires, and it had a similar thing where they like brought it with a with like a lantern over it and then lifted it up to <laughs> let you drink the drink. That is really, really cool. You know, the the classy cocktails, you know, we all we love those. Obviously, those are really nice. But as we as we've said before, we are dive bar connoisseurs. So I know you already said that you got a pizza dive and we're we're absolutely down for that. Is there any other dive bar or pub? that you can recommend that you think is 
top quality when it comes to grimy, but super awesome. The saddest part about living in Melbourne is that they just don't do dive bars well. In, in San Diego, you can go anywhere and you'll find a dive bar even in the middle of a random suburb there's like a bar that's kind of gross and dingy and like they have them here but they're manufactured that's my view at least coming looking for like american dive bars and so even the one i explained in the city with the pizza it it is kind of divey it looks divey but it's kind of clean and new (laughs) so i think when you're looking for like real dive bar you want to see like the layers of stickers and paint and stuff is like what i'm picturing and and here it's um give it 20 years and there'll be proper dive bars i think but right now they're they're a little bit manufactured but there are some bars that have just really good beer and really good like laid back kind of vibes so i guess that's probably the closest thing and there's one i really like in um fitzroy which is called the great northern and it's like an old old dingy kind of reddish maroon carpet and it has an outdoor area and it has like the old oak dark wood benches and so it's it's like Australia's version of a dive bar, I think. And I also think you can kind of rate a dive bar based on the quality of the beer it has. I think, I'm not sure if you guys agree with that Absolutely. assessment. And this this one has maybe like 30 beers on tap or something like that. So there's there's definitely some old charming bars, but they're not as divey, I think, as, as we would be wanting. I think when it comes to dive bars, it should either have a ton of beers or like two, and then it's a dive yeah. bar. <laughs> I love the whole aspect of the the Melbourne-Sydney rivalry. What is something that you think Melbourne has that Sydney doesn't have? Okay, I've got a few things that I think, because I've spent a little bit of time in Sydney because my the company that I work for is based in both places. And the first thing is coffee. And we haven't even talked about coffee. And I think that that's a huge oversight on my part. And I think coffee is one of those things that Melbourne is known for. And it's known for being really snobby about coffee. And... everyone in Melbourne will say Sydney, like they don't even want to drink coffee in Sydney. It's just not as good. Um, And so one of my tips would be research coffee before you come, because the orders are really different than coffee that we get in the U S and they don't have a thing on the menu called coffee. Um, There's no just like black coffee that you can get poured into a cup for you. There's a long black, which is like espresso and hot water. There's lattes, there's cappuccinos, et cetera, but there's no actual filter coffee. I think it's becoming a little bit more popular now, but I think that's one thing that Melbourne would definitely be known for over Sydney. Another thing is um, is the people. There's sort of a reputation that people in Melbourne are really nice and people in Sydney are always in a hurry and a little bit grumpy and, and just pushier. And so I don't know if that's so true. I haven't had a bad experience in Sydney, but I think that's definitely the stereotype. Good to know. We're happy to help Melbourne in the competition between the two cities, like doing what little we can. (laughs) Melbourne seems like a city that under normal circumstances outside of COVID loves to host big events. What would you say is a few big festivals that people should schedule their trip to the city around? I know the Grand Prix is here every year and that's huge. And that brings so many people from all around the world. I'm not really big into car racing myself but if you're into that i think that that's supposed to be amazing and the track is they they set it up like a month before the event starts and people can drive around on it so i've accidentally driven on the track before just because it's kind of in it's just outside of the city and it's a real motorway and then they kind of close it off as the grand prix starts and so i think supposedly that's a really fun experience if you're into that other festivals i don't think i can't think of any really 
big festivals off the top of my head, but Melbourne's a really big, um, has a really big music scene. And so there's always little festivals going on. Everyone here is more interested in the smaller sort of niche things rather than the really big blow-up festivals. There's always in the park, there's different um, musical events going on and things like that. But I wouldn't say there's any really big time to come, except for um, there's a sport here called Australian Rules Football. And it's really fun to watch. And it's like a really nice vibe being in the stadium. So I would definitely recommend coming during that season if you can just to catch a game because it's, it's really different to American football. And it's really fun to go. That sounds really cool. Have you been to the Australian Open? Do they have uh, uh, matches that are played here? Oh, yeah. Sorry. That's a really big obvious one that I'm forgetting. I actually do go every year. It's so cool to have a, a, a sporting event that big in, in your city and you can just get tickets for pretty cheap for after work. You can just go in and see whoever's playing on the smaller courts. So this year we haven't seen any of the really famous ones because those tickets just get so expensive towards the end of the year. But yeah, it's, it's just fun watching anyone. They even have like wheelchair tennis that you can go watch or little kids and doubles. Is that all in Melbourne or is it between multiple cities no it's all in Melbourne it's all right maybe a few kilometers from the city center and so there's a just a really big complex with a bunch of different tennis courts and it's all held there and it's just so fun because they they close off the whole area and there's big screens so if you aren't in the stadium to see one of the big players you can still sit out on the lawn and they have it on a really big screen and you can watch it and there's all these pop-up drinks and food and free sunblock because we don't have a very good ozone layer here and so there's this just it's just such a fun day to go and you can get a day pass for like i don't know thirty dollars or something so you can just spend the whole day there it's it's really fun Wow. Wow. That sounds really cool. I mean, uh, I like that vibe of being like in a, in an open space with like a bunch of people watching it either on the big screen, like if you can't get in the stadium, but that to me is a, a time to plan a, a trip, even though it's probably really busy and hard to find a hotel, but uh, wow, that sounds awesome. You know, I had, I had a question and, and we talked about it a little bit before, but I'm really curious because I saw that indigenous Aboriginal Australians, they have kind of a big presence in, in Melbourne. Are there any ways that you can get in touch with that history if you're interested in, in that culture? I know up north in Northern Territory, there's a lot of Aboriginal communities still. And my parents have been up there. I haven't been able to make the trip yet, but there's all these really beautiful places that are sort of supposed to have magical or spiritual properties. There's a big, big rock called in Uluru and you can go up there and apparently it's it sounds beautiful i would love to make the trip up there so i think for me i haven't seen much presence in the in the main city of melbourne but definitely up north and um one thing i've noticed is every time there's an event or a public gathering whoever is the mc will say a welcome to country which is they'll acknowledge that the australians have taken the land from an aboriginal tribe that used to take to own this land that's cool that they give that little nod at the beginning of those events. Yeah, and there also are there are museums that you can go to. I think um, there's a few art galleries in the city that are that host mostly Aboriginal art, and it's really beautiful, really intricate art. So I think the the most exposure I guess I've had is through art, and it's it's really cool and really impressive. That sounds awesome. Uh, to close out the culture part of the of the discussion, are, are there any museums that you would recommend to someone traveling to Melbourne? 
Yeah, the the National Gallery of Victoria is just outside of the city. So if you're staying in the city, you can walk there in maybe about five minutes. And it's such a cool museum. It's really big and it has um, the whole downstairs area is permanent art. And so you can always see the same sort of thing. And then they have rotating exhibitions that come through. Um, there was one that I went to go see, or I was I had tickets to go see, but then COVID happened, so I wasn't able to get in in time. Which was Basquiat and Herring, which would have been really cool. They had all the stuff shipped over from New York, and I think NGV gets a lot of really interesting things that other museums don't. Even though it's it's small, but it's really really well funded, and it has um, a really good collection. Before that, I saw Andy Warhol and. Uh, Weiwei, which is a, he's a sculptor and he makes like little intricate flower sculptures. And so, yeah, I would definitely recommend going there. It's just a beautiful place. The front wall, it's this huge um, stone building and it has a waterfall that comes down the front of the building. And there's so much really cool art to see inside. I think that in almost any destination that I go to, the art museum calls to me. So uh, I would, I would really make time to, to see that if I was there. That's really great. Now we're moving on to to the fourth pillar, which is like the outdoors and, and the excursions. And it seems to me that Melbourne is a city that is really in touch with nature and it loves its green spaces. So can you describe some of the best places to be outdoors within the city? Yeah, so I think you'll have to fact check me on this, but I've heard a rumor that when the city was designed, the plan was that no one should live more than 500 meters from a green space or a park. And I don't know if that's true, but I've never lived more than a few hundred meters from a park. And there's just beautiful sprawling parks everywhere you go, which is so nice, especially during lockdown, because we can only leave for exercise, really. So there's always somewhere that you can go be in nature within two minutes walk from your house. Yeah, I think in the city, there's there's a bunch of gardens and there's the Royal Botanic Garden, which is so beautiful. I don't know how big it is, but you can walk around for hours without seeing the same thing. And there's just a huge path through it. So I would definitely recommend going there if you're here to, for a visit. And then there's a big path around the outside of it. And it's a big tan sand path. And it's called the tan, I think because it's tan colored, but I'm not sure if that's actually why. So that's um, a really common running track for a lot of people who live here. People here are really outdoorsy, so you always want to be close to some kind of outdoor space where you can do some exercise. Is, would you consider Melbourne to be a, a beach city? I, I noticed that there's obviously a coastline there, but do a lot of people like the beach scene? No, I think that's one of the things that I miss the most about San Diego is the, the beaches because they're, there's a beach here, or they call it the beach, but it's the bay. And um, there's no waves. So if you're like, my brother's a really big surfer and he was so sad when he moved here because there's really nowhere to surf within um, about an hour of the city. You can go out to the beaches and there's really, really good surfing. Like Bell's Beach is a really, really good surfing destination. And it's not far, but it's not a regular part of most people's lives here, I don't think. Mm. Um, it's also pretty cold here. So in summer, it gets in the 40s, which is like 100, but only maybe for a week. And the rest of the time, it's pretty moderate. And then in winter, it's like probably in the 40s. So it's not really a, like the amount of time that I'm wearing shorts is probably one month out of the year. So it <laughs> doesn't really entice you to go into the water. Also, the water um, in the ocean near here is is kind of bordering Antarctica. So it's really, really cold. 
you need was, a really good wetsuit. I was going to say that if uh, if people aren't familiar with a map of Australia, then Melbourne is actually kind of on the bottom facing uh, Antarctica. So uh, I would imagine that the water can get pretty, pretty cold. If someone visiting the city was looking for a good outdoor excursion, like a hike or going to a, a national park, um, what's a good one near the city that, that you would recommend? There's there's so many, but I'm not sure if they're really close to the city. I think um, there's the Great Ocean Road is is really beautiful, and if you go all the way out there, there's a there's a place called Wilson's Promontory. Everyone just calls it Wilson's Prom, and it um, it has the most amazing hikes, and it's right on the ocean. I think that's probably one of the most beautiful places that I've ever hiked since I've been here. And there's so many trails you can go on like a few day trek if you wanted and you can um, stay overnight and camp in there. It's just such a beautiful wildlife reserve. And there's also something called the 12 apostles, which is near there. And it's these rock formations. I'm not sure if it's rock or if it was the land, like the hillside before, and then it's sort of eroded. And there's these 12, I don't think there's 12 anymore. I think there might be 11 or 10, um, but they stick out in the water and you can see this, like little trail of of land and it's it's just so beautiful out there it's really quiet it feels like you're just really far away from the city and the stress of everything so definitely i would recommend going out that direction if you go the other way there's more inland kind of mountainy areas there's a place called bright which is really really beautiful has a lot of um a lot of good hikes and lots of people who are really into cycling will go out there because there's really good trails and um and just a lot of mountainous area to train so it's you have kind of the best of both worlds you can have the mountains and the inland area or you can also have the beachy kind of area which is yeah it's really nice Uh, that sounds really amazing it sounds like melbourne and the surrounding area really has something for everybody i mean you're talking we've hit all the four pillars with like a bunch of examples there's nothing that that you can't find in, in in the region this has been such great advice and i think that to me, it seems like Melbourne is one of those underrated destinations where not a lot of people have, have known about it. A lot of people flock to Sydney, and it seems like this is a place that everybody needs to have on their bucket list. Yeah, definitely. I would agree. Before we moved here, I had never even heard of it because you just you think of Sydney. Like I, I thought that the map was Australia, and then right on the one of the coasts was Sydney, and that was it. And then the whole country was just Sydney. And so I think it's one of those places that the first time you visit it feels a little bit underwhelming and then you spend a little bit more time there and you get more familiar with the quirks, you find the laneways and then you just slowly fall in love with it. But it is, it's definitely underrated. And I would recommend if you're coming to Sydney, you have to take the two hour flight and come south to Melbourne. Do you have any other tips for travelers, things that people should know, uh, you know, different cultural mannerisms or what to order, how to order? The coffee tips were really good, but anything else that you, that comes to mind? I think one thing is with with ordering as well, um, because my friend just came, oh, you know, Natalie, she just came to visit me before, I think it was in maybe January. I actually can't remember, but she came to visit and she was the first person that's come to see me just because it's so far away. Like it's, it's a really long flight. It's like 14 hours from the West coast of the U S. And so it's, it's a commitment, but um, yeah, she sort of struggled with ordering food because the way that people here talk to you is a little bit different. So they'll like, you'll walk up to the bar and you'll be waiting to order and they'll just look at you and say, are you okay? (laughs) And that means like, what do you want? Or do you need something? And the first time I remember it happened to me, I was like, 
yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. Like what? And it was so confused. And then she didn't serve me because I said I was fine. So it's just these like, it's more, I guess, more English influence. And so there's things that are more subtle that I think get lost on me definitely. And I would imagine other travelers as well. So you've got to be assertive to, to order your food, I think. That's funny because Brendan and I always comment when we're in other countries that uh, Americans kind of like sit back and wait to be approached by the server. And in other, almost every other country, you have to be like, hey, excuse me, I'd like to order. And it's not rude. It's just like that's they're busy and they need to know when you're interested in, in having food or having a drink. So that's great advice. I, I, I'd really take that to heart. This has been super awesome. We're really grateful that you took the time to talk to us. Uh, what we'd like to do is, do you have any shout outs, anybody else that you think would be a, a great guest on this show in the future? Well, if you want to know more about Australia, I don't know if you want to move on to another continent, but if you want to know more about another city in Australia, um, my boyfriend had another Zoom call, so he couldn't join me today for this one, but he said he'd be happy to do, um, he's from Sydney, so he'd be happy to do a Sydney version if you want to just make an Australia travel guide. So probably a good shout out. And if you want to know about the suburbs of Baldwin in Melbourne, you can definitely talk to my parents. (laughs) Hot spot. (laughs) Yeah, it's... It's a dry, a dry suburb, I think. So there's a lot going on there. <laughs> oh, please edit this part out. My mom will be so mad if she listens to this. <laughs> no, that's only the best part. No, that's actually something that I wanted to, to tell the audience is that it kind of felt like our, uh, our uh, respective mothers were trying to get this interview to happen as soon as possible. Um, so we will give a, a shout out to, to Pam Cotta and, and Julie <laughs> Cookie. Thank you so much. That's a, that's, a, that's a shout out that needed to happen for sure. Definitely. And we're really grateful. Like, this, is, this is fantastic. And I think that Australia was on our list of interviews that we wanted to do. And, and it almost slipped my mind that we have a great contact there, you. But honestly, like now, now that we've talked to you and we know so much about Melbourne, it, it seems like a, a place that we have to put on our, our list as soon as COVID's done. I know mom and dad especially have been wanting to plan a trip out there for years. Like Ever since your parents moved out there, that's been a place we needed to hit. So now that we know the city a little bit better and know all the things it has to offer, I'm really excited. I think we need to bump that trip up as soon as possible. Definitely. I think one other thing that's really, it's a really good benefit of coming to Australia is Australia is also really close to New Zealand. So if you're coming all this way into the Southern Hemisphere, then you can also make a trip to New Zealand. And if I knew someone there, I would give you their contact because that is probably one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. So um, maybe that'd be a good next episode, but definitely when you guys come, we have to take you on a trip to New Zealand too. That would be, be so great. Are you are you Australia for the rest of your life? You think is this a full uh, immigration? Know. I'm not sure. I became a citizen last year um, yes. because I'm studying, and so you it's you get really good benefits if you're a citizen. You don't have to pay um, any tuition up front, and you have no interest on your loan, which is really cool. And this is, could be a whole other episode about all the benefits of. Australian society. But um, yeah, I think ever since I've become a citizen, it definitely makes it harder to leave. I also found out that I still have to pay US taxes. So um, that's that's one reason to move home because Australia doesn't tax you when you don't live in the country. But yeah, I think given the current trajectory, probably Australia for a while. That's great. Well, we'll make sure that we uh, get out there and, and pay you a visit. Thank you again. And uh, hopefully we see you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much, Megan. That was an amazing interview. Melbourne is definitely moving up to one of our top spots on our bucket list. As soon as COVID is over, I'm sure, like we said, our whole family is going to want to go, so we'll make it a Kata family vacation. Brendan, 
What was something that stood out to you, something that you definitely want to check out when we go to Melbourne? I think that the laneways sound so cool and like a must-see when I go. Um, I think they sound kind of mysterious and all the businesses in there sound very unique. And it sounds really disorienting to come out of a bar after a night out and be in basically a labyrinth <laughs> in a city I'm not familiar with. So that sounds fun. And I really want to check those out. Yeah, plus it has all of the street art and the little tiny cafes and the rooftop bars all connected in this, like you said, a maze, basically. Um, you know, not as qu not quite as exciting, but I am really interested and curious about this Melbourne coffee. It is famous across the internet. It is apparently incredible. They have a bunch of roasters in the city. I'm definitely going to start my day with a big cup of coffee, whatever they call it. I don't, I don't know all of the lingo <laughs> yet, but I promise I'm going to learn the lingo. Uh, and I really liked when Megan was telling us about the tan, oh, yeah. which if you remember is that path around the green spaces. And first of all, the green spaces across the city, having that, that charter that makes it so that people don't live outside of a certain distance from a main green space, that's amazing. That is something that I wish all cities did. But this, this place called the tan, that track, really cool and and being an avid runner it's something that i would love to check out so anyways that is something that i would definitely be looking forward to but i also want to bring up the fact that australia as a continent has a lot of incredible national parks not dissimilar to the beautiful national parks that we have here in our country and this is a new kind of pitch that I am uh, working on. I am in no way sponsored by the national park system, although I would be fully open to an endorsement from them. But I am encouraging our listeners to look into the National Park Annual Pass, America the Beautiful Pass. It is only $80. It gets you access to all of the national parks and all of the national monuments, national battlefields, national forests. So. I'm encouraging our listeners, if you're interested in the outdoors, if you love the national park system, think of it kind of like a donation. And also you get to see some really beautiful places that uh, you might not have on your list otherwise. We've said it in episodes before that when you go to national parks, you really understand why these are protected places that stand out. They're incredible. And you only have to go to a few of them to make it worth the cost of this pass. So I think it's such an incredible investment and such a great way to support something that you love and provides such an incredible service um, around the country. Absolutely, and we're gonna have the link for where you can buy the America the Beautiful Pass. You can also buy it at any national park at their visitor center or uh, when you enter the park. Uh, like I said, 80 bucks. We'll have the link uh, in our description. We'll have the link on our website. This is our push for uh, the rest of this season, I think. Um, really encouraging people to social distance by being outside. And so with that, the last thing we want to say is please wear a mask. Please. We would like to travel again. <laughs> we want to get out there and travel again. <laughs> but until it's safe to do so, nature is a great way to social distance. So wear a mask, social distance, and we'll see you for another episode of the Cotter Brothers Travel Club really soon. Thanks for listening to the Cotter Brothers Travel Club. This is a good chance to let you all know that we have a website. Go to cotterbrotherstravelclub.com to find our city guides, travel essays, and the best way to contact us directly. 
You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Look for Cotta Bros underscore Travel Club. We want to keep building this community of explorers. So please hit us up on social media or on our website so you can share your adventures and stories from around the world. Finally, we know these are challenging times. This podcast was our outlet for self-expression, and we appreciate our listeners, friends, and family that are helping us to make it possible. However, if you are ever feeling sad, isolated, or even displaced, please reach out to us. Even the most experienced traveler gets lost sometimes and needs some help to find their way. We hope you'll tune in next time, and most importantly, welcome to the club.